Hello everyone, my name is Jonathan Chan. Thank you for joining me again as we explore the Book of Romans. Today, we will be tackling chapter 5. But before we do that, customarily we start off with a video clip, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the clip and we'll be right back. Have you found them yet? No, Lord Helmet, they're still not on the scanner. Well, keep looking for them. Pardon me, sir. I have an idea. Corporal, get me the video cassette of Spaceballs the movie. Yes, sir. Producers, 12 chairs, blazing cells, young Frankenstein. Colonel Sanders, may I speak with you, please? Yes, sir. How can there be a cassette of Spaceballs the movie? We're still in the middle of making it. Oh, that's true, sir. But there's been a new breakthrough in home video marketing. Yes? Yes. Instant cassettes. They're out in stores before the movie is finished. Nah. Here it is, sir. Spaceballs. Good work, Corporal. Punch it up. That's much too early. Prepare to fast forward. Preparing to fast forward. Fast forward. Fast forwarding, sir. now is happening now. What happened to then? We passed then. When? Just now. We're at now now. Go back to then. When? Now. Now? Now. I can't. Why? We missed it. When? Just now. When will then be now? Soon. How soon? Sir. What? We've identified their location. Where? It's the moon of Vega. Good work. Set a course and prepare for our arrival. When? 1900 hours, By sir. By high noon tomorrow, they will be our prisoners. Who? There's a phrase in the Christian world that goes like this, already, but not yet. So what is happening now is happening now. And we also believe that what will happen in the future is also happening now as well, but not yet fully revealed in plain sight because we have to wait until Jesus comes and takes his place as judge and ruler of this world. I.e., when will then be now? Soon. It's a weird concept, and it's often difficult to understand. But because God is eternal and beyond space and time, it does exist through the pastuel in Jesus, i.e. the faith and faithfulness in Jesus. Throughout chapters 1 to 4, Paul writes to both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, who, by the way, were quarreling who was right and who was wrong. He provided both the now and the future that is happening now that apply to them both. Let's review that. When Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians have pistuo in Jesus, a few things happen now and also happen in the future. 
When Jesus died and resurrected, two covenants were fulfilled. Or you could say one overarching covenant was fulfilled since the second one was mainly between God and Abraham and his descendants. The first covenant, which Paul will elaborate again in today's chapter, is the covenant made between God and humanity. Because humanity turned away from God and disobeyed him, something happened that will happen in the future. This permanent death and separation will come when God makes his final judgment, as Paul explained in the early parts of chapter 2. Everyone, Jews, Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, non-Christians, will be judged. But as we looked at in chapters 3 and 4, through the pastuo in Jesus, those who have pastuo in Jesus received a verdict already before the judgment takes place. It's like knowing your verdict before the judgment ever takes place. The judgment will take place, but you, in your mind, already know your verdict. In other words, anyone who has faith and faithfulness in Jesus is declared innocent, right with God and in God's family, because their sins are forgiven through Jesus. It's like what's going to happen in the future is happening now. The second covenant has also been fulfilled in Jesus because he took on the role as the true Israelite and human representative who was obedient to the law and faithful to God, which the Israelites were supposed to do but failed royally. And so, to have faith and faithfulness in Jesus, we too are united with Jesus, and what's happening now is that we are God's chosen people. And also, with the Holy Spirit entering into our hearts, we are enabled to live as God's chosen people now. So what was promised back in the prophets in Ezekiel, uh, that the Holy Spirit was to enter into his people, into God's people, is now happening now in Jesus. Today, in chapter 5, Paul elaborates this further. And by the way, as I mentioned earlier before, in previous sermons, he does this a lot in Romans. He always mentions a principle in the beginning, say in chapter 2 or chapter 3, and then he revisits it and elaborates it in chapter 5, 6, or 7, or 8, or 9, or 10, or 12. Sometimes right away, case in point, for those who may be interested, you could read chapter 6, and he immediately revisits the topic that he mentioned right in the beginning of the chapter. So let's start with verses 1 to 5 in chapter 5. It goes like this. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loved us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. I mentioned before there is a tool used in Bible studies called sentence flow. Now, it's a little difficult to do when you're not familiar with the New Testament Greek. 
So I've done the background work and highlighted the various sentences that are to be grouped together. First, though, is the keyword therefore, right in the beginning. This should flag all of us that Paul is summarizing everything that happened before this word. Yes, everything, as in chapters 1 to 4. Paul is wrapping up chapters 1 to 4. Then Paul uses the Greek word dia, which in this context is translated, translated as because. I've grouped all the sentences in this segment in blue. So the way we should read it is, therefore, because we have been made right in God's sight by faith, because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us, because of our faith, and because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love, i.e. because of all that Paul said in chapters 1 to 4, what is happening now and what will happen in the future that is happening now that we cannot see? What is it? All the sentences I've highlighted in red. In other words, it goes like this. Number one, we have peace with God both in the future and happening now because of our right verdict. No longer God's holiness will zap us to oblivion. We are now deemed holy as well through Jesus. Number two, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Clearly, we are not physically standing in the Holy of Holies. That's what it means when Christ brings us into this place. It's temple language where Jesus is the priest and he's taking us into the holy of holies of God. But clearly, you and I, right at this moment, I don't think I'm sitting in the gods of God's holy of holies because I'm in my kitchen. But God's presence is right now here. It may be a future status, but we just don't see it right now. So the future has brought forward to us today. We are in God's presence. We just don't see it. Number three, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loved us. Because of what we have in the future is now in our possession through our faith in Jesus, because of the, of the certainty of where we will be in the future, and that we are in the presence right now with God, but not fully in plain sight, we can rejoice in the midst of problems and trials. Not celebrate our sufferings, but celebrate in our sufferings. We can still sing praises to God when our loved ones who are in Christ, pass away. We can still sing praises of hope and joy in light of COVID-19. We can sing praises and hope and joy in the light of terrorist attacks, murders, gun violence, gang violence, discrimination, racism. We can sing praises and hope of joy because of what Jesus has done for us. Now, our future is secure. Amen. But wait, Paul says, if you're still not experiencing joy and hope, let me go further. In verse 6, when we were utterly helpless, 
Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. The English translation of were does not capture quite well what the Greek and New Testament Greek verb is. Um, the word, uh, the word, word, the word were, it sounds like a one-time deal, uh, like a past tense that everything is done. It's a done deal. It's a one-time deal, and, um, and that's it. However, if you look at the Greek word for the word were, it is actually in the present active tense, which means that Paul acknowledges that we are always helpless and always need of Jesus' strength. There's a difference there. When we were utterly helpless, sounded like it's the past tense. But really in the Greek, it's when we are utterly helpless or when we are continually being utterly helpless. That's what Paul really wanted to emphasize, that we are helpless even till this day. And that's why we need Jesus so much more. But thank God, Jesus made it possible for us because he died not for good people, but for sinners. Something that would blow every mind's, everyone's mind, even now. Would you die for a crook, a murderer, or a cheater? No. But that's what Jesus did. He died for us, sinners. Then in verse 9, we encounter another, therefore, which sums up verses 1 to 8. Because we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, because our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, what will happen in the future? He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. And two, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. In other words, Jesus will save us from the guilty verdict when God's judgment comes in the future. And by the way, this word saved means eternal life in God's presence. As Paul elaborated what that means in the earlier chapters, being saved is to have eternal life, which means you're in God's family, your sins are forgiven, you're made right with God as if we never broke the law. That's what it means to be saved. Paul says this truth, this statement alone of what Jesus has done for you and I now and also made secure in the future, this should make both you and I rejoice. We don't deserve this. We're sinners. We weren't good people, though we thought, think we are, but we're really not. We have our, a lot of our slip-ups. We don't deserve Jesus to die for us. But Jesus saw us worth dying for. Wow. What sort of love is this that someone would be willing to die for a sinner? God's love. And that's who Jesus is. God's love in human form.
Verse 12. When Adam's sin, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God, as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man. Jesus Christ. This passage sounds like Paul is responding to a question that he thinks someone might be asking him. So he figured he should respond to the unasked question. N.T. Wright captures it well with this statement, quote, how can it be that people who have the rest of their lives still to, still to lead lives in which they might, sorry, let me try this again. N.T. Wright captures this question by just by, with this, this uh, quotation, this is the question that Paul is, trying, is probably trying to respond to. Quote, How can it be that people who have the rest of their lives still to lead, lives in which they might do all kinds of wicked things, are nevertheless given this assurance that the future verdict is already known? That's the question that Paul is trying to answer here. Yes. If only sin is completely eradicated right now, and God's judgment takes place now. But God loves everyone, and because of his grace and love, he desires everyone to have the opportunity to come to faith in Jesus, just like he, like he did for those since Adam. But what happens if we slip up? Because we're still imperfect. We are still a work in progress. We will continue to slip up here and there and sin. How are we to live in light of this ongoing sin. Jesus' death and resurrection didn't just give us a future verdict made certain. Paul said this, quote, But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness, for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus enables us to live in triumph, that when we sin, because we have the pastuo in Jesus, our pastoral will enable us to triumph over sin when we repent because we have faith that forgiveness is available when we repent in Jesus. In other words, as we live, we are triumphing over the sins. Sins will not repeat themselves. That's a life of victory. We will sin, but we will also conquer them as we go along. Sin will not have the last word, nor will sin repeat. Lastly, verse 18. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. 
God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead. Because, sorry, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What does life in condemnation, i.e. guilt, look like? That when you do something or that I do something wrong, even though no one knows, there's a cloud of guilt hanging over our head. What does this life of guilt or condemnation look like? Are you experiencing it right now? Do you know of someone who is experiencing it right now? Are we able to imagine it? I think we can. Personally, one thing I know from experience is it feels like this guilt is ruling over me and that I can't get out of its grips. I lose sleep because of it. I get anxious as to how others might see me so I'm always on my guard so that no one suspects that I've done anything wrong. I lie a lot. I put great efforts in putting on a mask to disguise my guilt to the point it tires me out, both mentally, physically, and emotionally. I'm always on my guard. I get snappy at people who care about me and maybe try to hide away and not be part of any social gathering for the fear that I might slip out and let everyone know. I also know of some friends who live in guilt that they develop bad habits to cope with the guilt. They have low self-esteem and even try to ignore or suppress certain emotions. They have eating disorders. They indulge in other things, in other vices. Those are just some examples of what I think living in guilt may look like for some of us and that I too have experienced. So how did this guilt come about? We were made aware of what we did wrong because of the law, whether we have it in written form like the Jews or it was written in our hearts. It all started in the beginning when humanity rebelled against God. When humanity rebelled against God and went off on our own, we were no longer aligned with God. Instead, we were outside of it, and because of that, God gave us the law to let us know how far off we were. You could say that our eyes kind of went wide open and realized of our guilt. So the more we sin, and the, the more the law reveals how far off we are, and therefore, the more guilt we have. How can, we get how can we remove this guilt? It's not about trying to justify it. It's not about drugs. It's not about positive thinking. Heck, even money cannot remove this guilt. The only way to get out of this guilt is through the pastuo in Jesus. Only then can we live a new life free of guilt. Freedom from the grips of guilt. A guilt-free life that gives us freedom to live to our fullest potential in Jesus forever. Now that's something to rejoice about. We rejoice for what Jesus has done for us now and what he's done for us in our future now. So let's conclude with the psalm that Paul quoted earlier. It's found in Psalm 32. And I love this psalm because it really gives evidence to how when we come to Jesus in repentance and confess our sins and have faith in him, that he does provide forgiveness through his death and resurrection, that we have this freedom in our lives and that we can live a life in triumph over sin and death. David here, as you know, some of you keeners know, has sinned often. He's done a lot of horrible things. In fact, it included murder, 
and also stealing somebody's wife at the same time. And I'm sure he is one of those guys who knows what it means when guilt is hanging over his head. And I'm sure he can actually tell you through experience how much freedom he experienced when he was forgiven by God. Let's start with this. It's uh, Psalm 32. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Amen. Thank you.